It's my honor and pleasure to introduce Tim and Sally Kirk, who are here from uh, Chattanooga after serving the PCA for 30 years in Indiana with an emphasis on church planting and college ministry. Now the Kirks have answered God's call to serve churches in transition like us. They're thrilled to serve Clemson Presbyterian pending Presbytery approval. And um, we're excited to have them during this exciting time of ministry. Tim was married to Sally in 1984, so they've got 37 years uh, going. They have four adult sons, Bill, Joel, Stephen, and Drew. Not in that order. I didn't get them in the right order, but <laughs> I got their names. They have two daughters-in-law, Andrea and Abby, and two grandsons, Theo. Four grandsons now. Okay, I'll let him tell you their names. <laughs> um, didn't, didn't get that far, sorry. Um, <clears throat> they'll be in the uh, narthex between services if you want to greet them uh, after the service. And if you do, um, tell Tim happy birthday. He hit the big 6-0 yesterday. <laughs> so it's with great pleasure that I introduce Tim to you. Come preach for us, Tim. Thank you, Bill. It's wonderful to be here. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word? We're going to take the next two weeks to conclude your series on the Psalms, and we're going to look both weeks at the 23rd Psalm. So if you would turn to the 23rd Psalm, or if you know it by heart, uh, let's recite it together. It doesn't matter if it was King James or NASB or whatever translation you learned it. Uh, let's, let's read or recite the 23rd Psalm. Join me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me on paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the midst of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Please be seated. May God bless the reading of his word. Did you notice in verse 1, David names God? He says, the Lord is my shepherd. He begins with the name that God gave himself when God appeared to Moses in the burning bush, when Moses said, who should I say sent me? And he says, you tell him Yahweh sent you. I am who I am sent you. And so David begins with the given name of God, but then David nicknames God. We have more than 100 names for God in the Scriptures. Many of them God gives himself, but most of them God's people give to God. As they experience God's character, or God's power, or God's promises, they respond by naming God, by describing Him based on their 
experience. In Genesis 22, God tests Abraham. God says, Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac, and offer him in the land of Moriah. Then Abraham, rising up to Moriah, reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him and said, Abraham, Abraham. Abraham said, here am I. Do not lay your hand on the boy. For now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And in response, Abraham names God. God, He says, you are the God who provides for me. Jehovah Jireh. Just earlier, uh, Hagar, the handmaiden of Sarah, is pregnant because Sarah thrust her into the arms of her willing husband, Abraham. And as a result of the pregnancy, Sarah becomes angry, kicks her out, and she's literally in the wilderness. And so Hagar is weeping by a a, a stream, a pond. The angel of the Lord found her by the spring. The angel said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And of course, Ishmael would be her son, and he would be the father of many nations. And Hagar, a previous pagan, names God. She says, you are El Roy, the God who sees me. Often, when God's people experience his character or his power or his promises, they respond by naming God. Have you named God lately? What name have you been calling God lately? I like nicknames. I'm a nicknamer. We had four boys, then we had four grandsons, and we finally got the little princess. The, the long national nightmare is over. We got the girl. We have, our boys are Drew, Phil, Joel, and Stephen. I call them uh, Druzy, Pipper, Jojo, and Lumpy. I call my dad Poopsie. I call my little brother Steffi. I realized every person that I hold dear in my life, I, I nickname, except, except one person, Mom. And it dawned on me on a Mother's Day Sunday as I was reflecting on, you just can't improve on the name Mom, right? I do have a nickname. You're curious about Sally. I do have a nickname for Sally. I'm forbidden to tell you not until you know us a little bit better will I tell you. I, if, if I'd have known 37 years ago when I nicknamed her that I would be standing in front of such an auspicious group, I, I might have thought through it more. So <clears throat> wait till you get to know us better. I'll tell you next week. <clears throat> <laughs> I not only uh, like to nickname other people, I nickname myself. I was going to Panera a few years ago, and at that time, they took your name and would say the name over the PA system. So the woman said, uh, with what name? And I thought, this is a golden opportunity. 
So I paused and I said, call me Einstein. And she said, how do you spell that? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> e before I, I before e, I, I don't know. The food was ready. Einstein, I didn't get up. Is there an Einstein in the house? Then I stood up. That would be me, Einstein. A few visits later, she said to me finally, what do you do for a living? And I said, I'm a pastor. And she said, what church? Her name was Mary, and she'd had a hard life. She was an elderly woman. I told her the church. A couple weeks later, Mary came to our church. And the next day, the staff was talking about it because I'd actually been out preaching at another church. So at the staff meeting, they said, hey, it was an interesting thing yesterday. A woman showed up and said she wanted to hear our pastor preach. She wanted to hear Einstein. <laughs> and I said, what did you tell her? And they said, well, we told her our pastor is no Einstein. <laughs> What have you been calling God lately? In light of his character or his power or his promises, what name have you been calling him? David calls the Lord my shepherd. And there's a specific reason, I think, why he does. David had been neglecting his soul. We wouldn't have the 23rd Psalm unless David had neglected his soul and the shepherd had pursued him and what? Restored his soul. Restore my soul is the fourth of the four activities of the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, number one. I shall not want, or it could be translated, I shall lack no good thing. In 2 Peter 1, Peter says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. David says, Because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Secondly, He makes me lie down in green pastures. That is, a, the shepherd, as he restores our soul, he enables us to rest. As one of the Puritans said, that our Sabbath rest is we, we, we recline in the arms of Jesus. The, the shepherd that was restoring David's soul was giving David rest. Jesus says in Matthew 11, Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and you will find rest for your soul. You know, soul is mentioned I believe it's more than 700 times in the Bible. It was just a few years ago I read John Ortberg's book, Soul Keeping, and I realized that though I'd preached about the soul all my ministry, I didn't really know what it was. We're going to unpack more of what the soul actually is next week in our part two. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want... I shall lack no good thing. He has given me everything I need for life and godliness. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. My soul is able to rest in the finished work of Christ and in his provision for my life day to day. He leads me beside still waters. Shepherds tell us that sheep won't go close to rushing waters for fear of falling in. Jesus says to the woman at the well, everyone who drinks this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks the water that I give him will never thirst again. We have the 23rd Psalm because David had neglected his soul, so that he culminates the four actions of the shepherd is he restores my soul. How goes it with your soul? When we neglect our soul, we cannot say with integrity, I shall not want. The neglected soul wants so much. The neglected soul is characterized by ingratitude and grumbling. When we neglect our soul, we cannot say with integrity, he makes me lie down. I'm able to rest in him. A neglected soul is incapable of true rest and experiencing the peace that passes understanding. When we neglect our soul, we cannot say with integrity, he leads me besides still waters. Have you experienced this? The neglected soul has an unquenchable thirst for much, many, and more. For the praise of men. David had neglected his soul, but the shepherd had pursued him. The soul-restoring shepherd. Peter must have been having his devotions on the 23rd Psalm when he was then inspired to write these words, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. The shepherd pursues each of us today. So how goes it with your soul? This is a very individualistic psalm. It's me and I and my. And so today we're really talking about the soul and its shepherd, but next week we're going to see the corporate nature of it. And we're going to look at the the title as the bride and her shepherd, because it's not just individualistic. There's a corporate application for Clemson Prez. Two and a half years ago, I was uh, in my role as director of church planting with the presbytery, that, which is a collection of churches that we had been involved with helping start. And I, so I was out of the pastorate, and Sally and I really didn't have a church home. I was often going out and, and preaching at one of the churches. And uh, the few times that we did worship locally. We, we, we went to a, a church down the street, not our former church, so that we would give them space to, as they transitioned. But Sally became concerned for my soul. She sensed that, uh, that I was neglecting my soul, and she was right. 
We'd gone to church one week, and I really had not engaged in worship at all. And uh, one Sunday, we went to church, and they said, hey, we're going to offer prayer at the end of the service. We sang the last song. We're starting to go out the row, and Sally says, Tim, do you want to go down for prayer? And I said, no. We get to the end of the row. We're about to walk out, and she puts her hand out. She says, do you think we need to go for prayer? And I said, oh, yeah. But I ain't going. We get halfway out, and she puts her hand on my arm, Tim. And I was like an 11-year-old at the mall. My feet were so heavy, just clumping. Yeah, okay. We go down. The guy says, how can I pray for you? And I said, I have, I'm disappointed with God. I'm disappointed with God. And I have been calling God the God who disappoints me. He prayed for me. And that began a process of soul renewal that led within weeks to us interviewing in Chattanooga and then within a few months moving to Chattanooga and then after two years moving here. That really started the ball rolling that really brought us to Clemson, South Carolina. What have you been calling God lately? I began by asking, have you, have you been calling God a particular name? But now I'm telling you, you have. Every soul can't but say, God, you are this. I mean, think about it. The psalmist said, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Even the atheist is naming God. The atheist is saying, you're the God who is not there. What name have you been calling God? After neglecting his soul and experiencing the pursuit of the shepherd, David says, the Lord is my shepherd. What name have you been calling him? Is it a name worthy of his character, of his power? and of his promises. John Ortberg, in that book, Soul Keeping, says, ironically, the more obsessed we are with ourselves, the more we neglect our souls. The more self-centered we become, the more prickly and sensitive we become, the more we're listing all the different ways that God is disappointing us. The more we self-focus, the more we neglect our soul. He goes on to say, the neglected soul does not go away. It goes awry. What Sally saw in me two and a half years ago was a soul going awry. The more self-centered we are, the more soul-neglecting we become. Jesus said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose or forfeit his soul? Now, that's just the first couple of verses. 
But notice, our soul-restoring shepherd is going somewhere. We've been up on the meadow. We've, we've, we've drunk from the living water. Jesus says, you know, in John 7, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. As the Scripture has said, he who believes in me, out of him will flow rivers of living water. That's the promise. That's the power. That's God's character for his people. So, where is this shepherd going? Having restored our souls, having enabled us to, to, to rest, to drink deeply. Look at verse 3. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Our soul-restoring shepherd is going somewhere. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. For his name's sake. Not our name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Wait a minute. Where are these paths of righteousness leading? Into the valley of the shadow of death. Jesus says in John 10, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. Never noticed this until this week. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, and I lay down my life. I noticed that. My sheep hear my voice, and what? They follow me. Well, where is the shepherd going? He's going into harm's way. In that specific case, he, Jesus is going to the cross. And he says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Where is our good shepherd leading us? Into the valley of the shadow of death. Into harm's way. But Lord, I want to stay up on the meadow with the water and the rest and oh... Beloved, he restores our soul that we might become soul restorers. Years ago, uh, Sally and I were learning about being good neighbors. I honestly was uh, the kind of neighbor that if you leave me alone, I'll leave you alone kind of thing. And, uh, or, you know, as a pastor, it was kind of like I gave at the office, so to speak. You know, I come home, I, I, I want to... I mean, one time, <laughs> one time uh, I brought our neighbor from across the street into the house. I was borrowing a tool from him, great guy. He comes in the house, and as he walks in the house, our boys, who are like watching Clemson football, uh, <laughs> they turn, as, as he walks in, is something wrong? Is, 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 is there something wrong? They thought it must be an emergency or something that our neighbor was coming into our house. That neighbor was a member of our church. And now, in fairness, we'd only lived there eight years. So, you know. <laughs> the folks right next to us were non a non-practicing Jewish family. And uh, the extent of our interaction, besides just being generally friendly was uh, one time I had to call him up. I said, Alan, your teenage son is whistling at my wife from the second floor window. Sally's out, you know, working in the yard. Could you, 
you know. And he said, well, your two young boys have been sticking sticks at my dogs through the fence. That's the extent of our relationship. One day, maybe seven, eight years ago, I walked out. It was springtime. We were just kind of getting outside. And I, I noticed Brittany, their oldest. Brittany had kind of bounced around, you know, in and out of school and different things, kind of aimless. And as I looked at her, I realized Brittany was pregnant. And God was doing a work in Sally's in my heart <clears throat> to see people, to actually see people, to stop and to be attentive and interested and caring. And I, I went right over. I said, Brittany, Brittany, I'm Tim Kirk. I've been your neighbor 12 years, and nice to meet you. And I said, Brittany, you're, you're expecting. And she looked at me kind of sheepishly and uh, said, yeah, yeah, my boyfriend and I are expecting. I said, Brittany, congratulations. Now, her family didn't know how to, how to view me, how to view our family. I was kind of the diff, uh, they kind of, I was a mix of a, the medicine man and the witch doctor in their, in their worldview. They did celebrate Christmas. They had a Leon candle on their, on their table. See, if you, if you take a Noel candle and you turn it around in mockery, it's Leon. They would celebrate Leon. This is the... I said, Brittany, you know, tell me more. Well, my boyfriend and I are moving to Delaware. Now, who moves to Delaware? She moved to Delaware. She was self-exiling. Right? Bring dishonor to the family. You got to go. At least she felt that. I said, Brittany, we want to be a part. We want to be a part of your lives. So talk to Sally, talk to the deacons. We put some our money together, some of the church's money. So I brought her over one time. She'd never been in our house. I, I sat down. I, I, I tried to explain the gospel, God's love for her, etc. I said, and here, here's a gift. We want to be a part. Why, why are you doing this? Brittany, you're choosing life. You're choosing life. There are no illegitimate children. There are illegitimate parents, but there aren't illegitimate children. I said, we want to be a part of your life. We care about you. Tried to get her plugged into a sister church over in Delaware. Six months later, I get a call from Brittany, Sunday evening. She said, Tim, I just, I just wanted to tell you that I got baptized this morning. And I'm calling to say thank you for sharing Christ with me. Now, I didn't really even remember sharing. I mean, I was so bad at it at that point. I was so nervous, right? You know, when, you're, when someone's ready, there's nothing you can say wrong, and when someone's not ready, there's nothing you can say right. God planted that seed. Now, her first child, she named Amaya because of Jewish background. It's a Hebrew word. She was pregnant with her second when she became a Christian. So she named him Christian. She had a third one. She named him Trinity. She had a fourth one, and she named him, I think, Armageddon. I don't know. We're working on that. <laughs> I, when she came to Christ, I said, okay, Brittany, you've got to come visit back. Bring your boyfriend. We, we sat them down. 
I said, you, you have a church background. She didn't. You, you say you know the Lord. She didn't know the Lord. She now knows the Lord. She is a daughter of the king. And you either need to give your life to the king and marry her, or you need to go. This was a man who already had another child with another woman. This was trouble. Gives his life to Christ. They get married. They move back to Indy. They move back to the inner city. Who, who wants to meet with me now? Mom and dad next door. Right? And they, they said, what is our daughter doing with our precious grandchildren? Right? I said, you need to understand something. Brittany has come to know the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd who, who restores people's souls. The Good Shepherd who guides us on paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Where? Where? Into the valley of the shadow of death. You need to understand, Brittany is now rushing into harm's way for the sake of the shepherd. She whose soul has been restored is now a soul restorer. Powerful. Isn't it something? Where is he leading us, beloved? He's leading us into harm's way. What is the shadow of death? Is that our deathbed? Psalm 23 is a beautiful funeral passage, and rightly so. It, it takes us all the way through, all the way to the Father's house. But beloved, the 23rd Psalm is not primarily a passage for the end of your life. It is your life to get restored, to rest, to drink deeply because you're going to be a source of living water. To get your soul restored so that you're a soul restorer. Paths of righteousness. Next week we're, we're going to look at many of the paths of righteousness that Clemson Prez is walking. Impacting souls. So, how is it Jesus can restore our soul? God came to Abraham and he said, Sacrifice your son. And Abraham in obedience was ready to do it, but then God stayed his hand. He says, now I know. Now I know that, that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. How, how is it that our souls are restored? By faith, we see Christ rushing into harm's way at the cross. We see his death and resurrection, and we're able to say by faith, now I know you did not withhold your son, your only son, for me. He who did not spare his own son, Romans 8, 32, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Beloved, what name have you been calling God? in light of his character, in light of his power, in light of his promises, come back, return to the shepherd, the overseer of your soul. Let's pray. Father, we agree with your word that, that we were, 
we stray like sheep. We thank you for the, the invitation, the call, the voice of the shepherd to return to the lover of our soul. May it be so in each of our lives today. And all God's people said together, Amen.